I passed a sign today on the way to church, and it said, we must keep Christ in Christmas. Before you say amen, I'm not sure that that's the battle as much as learning to keep Christmas throughout the whole year and what it means that the Christmas message can actually change the world. If we want to keep Christ in a holiday that we call Christmas, and it's a, a, a combination of a whole bunch of holidays, both pagan and, and spiritual, and represent Jesus through it, and you want Christ to remain in that, then keep the message of Christmas year-round. Let's give gifts that keep Christmas giving year-round. We're going to be looking at what it means to give more. And I consider you to think, I ask you to consider that as we, as we move forward. So I shared recently, I'm in love with this Advent Conspiracy series. Just uh, doing the research and, and hearing Pastor Bob's sermons the last three weeks have been amazing. When I first discovered this series, it was in 2007, we were in the Vineyard Church, and it totally just made sense to me. Kind of blew my mind a little bit, and it also made sense to me. I had grown up with big Christmases and the idea that this is how you do Christmas. But this series was responsible for changing so much of my thinking. At the same time, it resonated with me. Have we lost the message of Christmas? Have what we... Uh, used to celebrate Christmas actually distracted us from who we are. Doing this series this year has caused our family to realign ourselves to that original thinking. And it's been a good reminder to become people who are called to be sent, to worship fully, to spend less, but find ways to give more of ourselves. It makes us ask the question, what does Christmas look like throughout the whole year? So last night at midnight, a fight erupted on our street if you've been watching the news, you know that the Lancaster City area is a fire right now with violence and suicide. We've had like 12 shootings within a few weeks. Last night, I peeked out my window as I heard violence erupting on the streets, and in the middle of the street was a guy with four people on him beating him down with a stick on his head. There were another four people involved in fights with each other. The questions we have to ask ourselves is not how do we keep Christ in Christmas, but how do we make Christmas and the coming of the kingdom and the promise of Jesus matter in every situation? We would do good to ask ourselves and more uh, to engage in more conversation with each other and ask ourselves, what does Christmas look like in that situation? Who am I supposed to be as the kingdom in that situation? What does the message of Christmas promise here? when people are bruised and battered and being beaten down on the street, and I'm outnumbered. This is the power of Christmas, and we must engage it. This week, as we explore what it means to give more, we're going to be looking at the story of Zechariah, and especially his prophetic song, in which you'll find in Luke 1, 67 through 80. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red pew Bible in front of you, and I encourage you to use that. We'll be reading uh, out of the NIV, and it's on page 1014, 1014. You find it on 1014, and again, it's Luke 167 through 80. If you don't feel like looking at a Bible, it'll also be on the screen. Let's just pray quickly before we read. Lord, we just ask that you uh, bless our time together. You bless the reading of the word. You give us the eyes of Christmas and the coming glory of the Messiah through the eyes of Zechariah today. Let us see what Christmas meant for him. What the coming of a birth of a baby boy 
meant for your people in that era. Readjust our Christmas celebrations to be ones that are promises of Christmas, Lord. Your Christmas, not the ones we've made up. Amen. Luke 167 through 80, page 1014. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all of our days. And you, my child, obviously turning to his son John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he, publicly, uh, until he appeared publicly to Israel. There's a strange sight to see, I imagine, for Zechariah. Imagine his life had taken a, a, a total new look because of this coming thing we now call Christmas. The coming of the Messiah. You know, Zechariah was an old man. He was a priest. He had been married to Elizabeth for a long time. They had always wanted a child. They were never able to get a child, but he was content in that, and he continued his temple duties. One day, he's going into the temple. He enters it alone. He is all dressed up with the, the proper garb that he needs to be wearing. He has cleaned his, his mind and his heart before entering this holy place, and he is prepared to do his ritual, his normal tradition, and he goes in, and people are outside worshiping. He's in there alone. He's been in there alone a hundred times like he's always done. And just then, someone starts talking to him. I don't know about you guys, but I obviously see why an angel would say, do not fear, right? That's, that's a little scary. To, you know you're going to be in that temple by yourself, and the presence of an angel just appears. Zechariah, an old man, just doing his priestly duties, runs into an angel. And the angel says, Zechariah, you've, you've kept your promises. You've lived a righteous life. You've done what God has required of you. And so is your wife, Elizabeth. Because of this, you're going to have a kid. Zechariah, probably a little confused, says, uh, I'm an old man. How, how do I know this is going to happen? What proof do you have that this is even possible? Well, because of his doubt and his need for the sign, what does Gabriel do? Takes his voice. He says, you won't speak again until the child is born. And he takes his voice. So at this time, Zechariah 
stumbles out of the temple, I imagine much like a drunk, because he's just overwhelmed by the power of what just happened. The worshipers outside are gathered now because they are expecting him to do his priestly duty of doing a blessing over them. They've been outside worshiping and praying for him while he's carrying on his tradition. He's got to lift his arms a certain way. He's got to shift his gold piece the right way, and he's got to bless them. Zechariah comes out with no voice. Zechariah just comes out with an encounter with a holy being. In that moment, I think he was feeling a lot of things. I imagine it was a sight to see for Zechariah as he stumbled out. He was definitely in a mixed state. First, he, like I said, he encountered Gabriel. Then he comes out with this sense of joy. I'm finally going to have a kid. That one thing I've wanted all of my life and has always fleeted me has now become a reality. Thirdly, Zechariah was told that his son will prepare a way for the Messiah. John the Baptist would make way for the Messiah. You know, we wait all year for Christmas, right? Our retail stores like to get it earlier in every year so that we start getting ready to celebrate it and buy it. And our kids say things like, I can't wait to Christmas for Christmas next year, right? We look forward to this. This is probably the one time of the year that everyone has the equal excitement and anticipation for. It's good to remember the message of Jesus once a year. Zechariah, when he stumbled out, realized this. His people had waited thousands and thousands of years in enslavement, in poverty, in being lost in the wilderness, of having no home. They had waited for Christmas to come for thousands of years. What it meant for him was completely something we can't comprehend in the same way. We look forward to Christmas and we have all of these traditions that we need to do to make Christmas meaningful. It feels kind of cheap when we see it through Zachariah's eyes. Zechariah stumbles out of the temple realizing, my son will make way for the Messiah, that, the, the thing we've waited for for thousands of years, that thing that will change everything. That was the weight of what was on Zechariah's head. Then he could probably feel the weight of what it meant as he processed what it meant for Israel to finally have a Messiah could also feel the weight of the people that were staring at him as he stumbled out in this mixed state, wondering, is he going to bless us? What's he doing? And then he stands there mute. Zechariah then remained voiceless throughout of all Elizabeth's pregnancy. And perhaps she liked that. Right? Nine months of not hearing him. He, then again, he also may wish he would have been deaf as well, Right? He got by, he was writing, and he, he still did his duties as far as we know, but he was a speechless husband. As Elizabeth entered her sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel then appeared to Mary, right? So Elizabeth's in her sixth month of pregnancy, she's showing, she's an old lady, the neighbors are looking like, what's going on? And then cousin Mary is pregnant as well. Zacharias sees this all playing out before him. Mary was also found to be righteous in her living. She would give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. The weight of that on Zechariah. 
Elizabeth would then give birth on the eighth, and as the eighth day came, she followed traditions. That's what God honored about her and Zechariah, right? Because you were righteous and you kept my traditions and my, my observ- things I wanted you to observe, uh, you need to circumcise the boy. So apparently this is a fun thing for everyone to attend. And what we see is the neighbors and the family members show up. Right? Party! Circumcision! It's kind of weird. And, you know, they start to pick and prod at the name that Mary, I mean that Elizabeth is saying will be the name. John. John? Aren't you going to name him Zachariah? That's your family name. No, no, his name his name's going to be John. I think the in-laws are probably poking at this point, you know what I mean? Like, well, are you sure? I mean, no one in your family has ever had that name. And she says, no, no, it's going to be John. And, you know, I don't know if about you, but if you've ever named your kids something that's a little untraditional, right? Parents and grandparents always feel that they have a weight of what should be said in that moment. So they express their like or dislike with a name. That's what's happening here. It's still a reality today, right? How many people have actually had that discussion with family? No one wants to raise their hand. So sometimes family and friends, they want to tell you, you know what, I'm not sure what I think of that name. Katie and I are discussing names for our uh, daughter, and uh, we have actually showed some concern about not telling her uh, my in-laws yet because they usually uh, like to balk back against things. But we are considering the Hebrew name Anali which means that the presence of God is with this one, or, or God is gracious with this one. I imagine that our situation won't look much different than Zachariah, but that's not a family name. In this passage, Zachariah walks in, and he sees the family fighting over this name and poking and prodding. He's now been mute for at least uh, nine months and eight days, little longer, and uh, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit enables him to speak. What we just read, it often gets called Zachariah's prophecy or Zachariah's song. I call it the prophetic song. We see that Mary has one when Jesus is, uh, the message of Jesus is given to her as well. And he just burst out, his name will be John. So the first time in 10 months we hear Zachariah's voice. Pretty sure the neighbors and the in-laws got quiet real quick. The scriptures say they stood in awe. And then they ran back to their homes and spread this, like, gossipy, like, you should see what happened. Those old people had kids. And then, and then Zachariah just, you know, he was quiet. We thought he lost his voice. And then he just burst out, and he tells us his name will be John. But it didn't stop there. Then he burst out into a song. That's weird. I don't know if you guys are ever excited and just burst out into a song, but I, I doubt few of us do. In this passage, we see that the identity and faith of Zechariah is overflowing in his spirit. The Holy Spirit connects with him in this moment and just pours out over him. And he gives this prophecy that we just read. He gives this prophecy. First, he identifies what it means for the coming Messiah. There's a list of things that I meant <coughs> made on the next slide. If you want to take a look at it, next slide. Nope, should be brown. 
This is the different things that Zechariah said in his prophetic song that just bursted out from his identity. He said, God has come to his people. He's redeemed his people. He's raised the king for his people, raised up salvation for his people. Salvation is now here for his people. Salvation from the hands who hate. Kind of want to roll with the word salvation, right? To show mercy to his people's ancestors. To show mercy to those who remember his covenant. To rescue from the hand of his people's enemies. Enables us to serve him without fear. Enables us to serve in holiness and righteousness with him forever. What he's saying in this moment is everything we knew about the story of God is changing. Everything that we've waited for for thousands of years in our captivity, in our, in our lost and confused state, in our enslavement, in our oppressiveness. This, this is what Christmas is. God has come to his people. God has come. And he's bringing this stuff. When we celebrate Christmas, we look forward to it, and we remember the ones we've lost. And I, especially this time of year, think of my grandparents and the good traditions that I had with them. You think of Christmas's past and fun memories. You think of Christmas stories that you'll tell, or you wonder if your kids are going to guess what they're getting for Christmas. These are the thoughts that dominate our minds when we think of Christmas, right? Will Uncle Charlie's sweater fit him that we got him? Did I get the right gift for my friend at work? When Zachariah saw the coming of Christmas, he saw God coming to his people with redemption and salvation and blessing and mercy and rescue and an enable. Uh, uh, he enabled him to be different. Christmas was going to change everything forever. I wonder when we celebrate Christmas and we wake up on Christmas Day if this is the same view of Christmas that we have? I wonder if our traditions that we enjoy and that I enjoy reflect this, the way that we hang our Christmas lights or put our tree or wrap our gifts or have cheese parties with friends. I wonder if this is uh, telling the true Christmas story. Then he turns to John the Baptist and he speaks and blesses over John the Baptist's identity. And he says this. Prophet of the Most High you'll be. Before the Lord you'll prepare a way for him. Give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He just, he just loves on his son at that moment. He's talking about God and what Jesus means, the coming of Jesus means. And then he turns to his son and says, you are going to mirror him. You have been invited by the Most High to be part of the story. That's amazing. You have been invited to be part of the story. And then he continues to talk again about what it means to be part of the story together. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven in the shadow of death. Our feet into the path of peace. Together, this is what they will mirror. Together, this is what they have been invited to be to the world. His son will get to be part of that. That is overwhelming. Looking at Christmas through Zachariah's eyes, this is what we see. Zachariah realized that God had come. 
If you have a bulletin, if you received the bulletin when you came in, you'll notice there are some blanks to fill in. I encourage you if you want to follow along and take a look at these notes again later. We're going to go through a couple things here of what Christmas, the coming of Jesus and the coming of Christmas looked like to the eyes of Zechariah and what implications Zechariah saw that it would have for us. Zechariah realized that God had come in the flesh through Mary and his son who would mirror the way of God came through Elizabeth, his wife. God's story was changing. God was no longer on the mountain. The Jewish people had this belief that God was on a mountain because when they gave him the Ten Commandments and talked to him, a lot of times it was on top of a mountain. So they would have this saying that God was out of reach, God was on the mountain. We don't do, uh, we, we do something very similar to that. We say that God's in the sky or God's in heaven. And we have this belief that God is up there, we're down here, we pray to him, we invite him down here. Zachariah realized at this moment, God was coming in the flesh. That the God who created the universe, you know, I don't know about you, but I kind of get like a panic attack if I try to picture how big the universe is, right? Like if you try to picture out how many tens of millions of stars there are and how endless that is. The God that created that endless universe just decided to show up in a ghetto with an unwed mother who was too poor to even make a proper sacrifice that she offered two doves instead of a lamb. Zechariah realized that God had come. And he came in a way that none of them expected it. They wanted their Messiah to come and chop off the heads of their oppressors. To give them their blessing. To raise up the dead and let them share in God's blessing with them. Zechariah realized also that God's answering gift to his people and the world was not a retail materialistic comfort. His people were poor. His people were oppressed. His people were broken. There's a lot of needs they could have had. Food for one of them. God decided not to answer um, their prayer requests in the way that they wanted. God's answering gift to his people was not meeting their materialistic needs. But actually... His answering gift to his people was him. The gifting miracle of Christmas is that God came to be with his people forever. That's your next point there. The gifting miracle of Christmas is that God came to be with his people. Zechariah, the first thing he says when he's thinking about what all this means, that he could finally speak, he doesn't pick up an argument that he left with Elizabeth. He doesn't confront the in-laws. He says his name is John, and then he overflows with propheticness. And he says, God has come. That is the first thing and the most important thing. It is the thing of priority above all else. The gifting miracle of Christmas is that God came to be with his people. God... Come to be with his people. Sometimes we struggle with things. We want God's provision in materialistic ways. When we see someone else's needs, we're quick to try to meet their materialistic ways. We even are doing that as part of the Advent conspiracy. But that is not how God decided to move at this moment. He doesn't meet their needs through retail Santa. He gives them himself. And he says that alone will change the story forever. That will put food in the belly of the hungry it says in Isaiah. It was evident to Zechariah the story between God and mankind was going to forever change. This day afford, nothing was going to be the same. 
I don't know if you've seen the Bible series uh, that was on, a mini series that was on TV, but at one point Jesus looks at Peter in this uh, movie and he says, "Peter, come with me if you want to change the world." At this point, they realized they had been invited to be part of something that would change the world. Zachariah's son was invited to change the world. Zachariah's son, John, was invited to be a co-conspirator of God's message to prepare the way. Zachariah's son was invited to be a co-conspirator of God's message to prepare the way. God had given this old priest a child, a child that would be able to mirror and prepare the way for the Lord. Such a heavy task, it seems, right? The Christmas story, as we look at it now on the other side, not as the expectation of Jesus coming, but as the realization that he has come and been among us since then through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. On the flip side of that is we realize that we too have been called co-conspirators of God's message to prepare the way. Christmas invites us to be co-conspirators of God's message. Our Christmas celebrations should look different. I shared in the in an Advent devotional booklet last week that I used to have to work at Black Friday sales when I wasn't on tour. I would work at this toy store. If you've ever read Dante's Inferno, I believe the eighth circle of hell is actually a toy store on Black Friday. I, I'm convinced of it. You know what's sad when you see a Christian come in that says, hey, Merry Christmas, Jeff, it's good to see you. I'll see you at church. And then you see them push another shopper out of the way. When, when our Christmas decorations and, and uh, experiences are exactly like the world's, I'm not sure that we are being co-conspirators of God's message. Advent reminds us that the story has changed forever. No, we don't wait thousands of years to see what the coming of Christ meant. We should be living that out every year. And each year, I think Christmas should serve as a way to remind us, not of that we get to live forever or that a baby came, but what it meant for those people and what it means for us. The story has changed forever. Now how do we be co-conspirators of that story? How do I look at the violence in my neighborhood? How do I look at the brokenness in my neighborhood and say, what does the Christmas message mean here? God sent Jesus to be with his people. But something Zechariah didn't see is that God sent Jesus to be for all people. God sent Jesus to be for and with his people and all people. This was actually one of the hardest parts for the Jewish people to get over, right? The idea that God was bigger than just for them. We can do the same thing. We sit on Sunday mornings in our churches, in our communities, and we say the promises of God are for us and we talk about them. But we have a hard time sharing them with people. Sure, we gave them a good Christmas gift so that they know we're Christians and we're not cheap. But how have we gifted them so that they can experience the Christmas story? I think about the the story of the gate called Beautiful and how Peter's standing there and somebody's expecting a gift from him. He says, I don't have a gift, but what I can give you is a gift that's better than anything. And he prays on him and heals him. We have a powerful message in the Christmas story, one that still resides in us today. The story has changed forever. How, do our, how does our gifting look different than the world's? 
we can creatively express the message better than through retail materialistic comfort. That's what I'm saying. We can creatively express this message better than through retail, retail materialistic comfort. Jesus was a pretty creative guy. He came as a baby. Grew up in a poor family. His cousin spent his teen years living in the woods and the desert and eating locusts and wearing camel skin underwear. It's a pretty creative story. That's our Messiah. We, we serve a Messiah who came as a leg- legitimate child of a virgin. We can creatively express this message better than through retail materialistic comfort. How? Easily. The last four things in a row here. Let's mirror God's gift, which was costly, which was his presence, and was personal. Last week we talked about spending less on just stuff. Part of giving more is realizing what can we do to speak of presence? What costly gift can we give? Costly doesn't only mean financial, but what costs me to actually think about what can I give this person so they can experience the Christmas message? What will it cost me? It will cost me thinking and time and planning. A pastor friend of mine uh, got his wife, uh, he, he, uh, someone had got his wife this journal of all their thoughts and stuff from college, and he put it together in a book, and that was her Christmas gift. Christmas should, our gifts of Christmas should bring tears to our eyes and remind us how the Christmas gift has changed the world. One of our favorite things to do is not give gifts, but give tickets to something that we can all do and enjoy as a family. Something that we can share with people. What better way to speak to unbelieving in-laws and friends and family than to invite our presence with them and to let ourselves overflow in prophetic song to them? Christmas changed the world. Our gifting must change. We must learn to give more of ourselves, not more of our money. Not more of our materialistic comforts, but we must realize that our gifting must change too. The story is changed forever. I invite you to explore this next year. I, I invite you to realize the joyous time of Christmas is. We like to reflect on it and view it with reverence. But there's actually a party aspect to it too. You know, if you've ever seen the Terminator movies, at the end of uh, a violent scene always, these robots are taking over the world. They, they, you know, machines have gotten out of control. And there's very few humans fighting back. But there's always this one famous line in all four of the movies. And he says, someone will pull up and rescue the, whoever's getting beat down by a robot. And he says, come with me if you want to live. Using that same line that I said from the Bible miniseries earlier. Or, I invite you to look at the Advent conspiracy like this. Look at Christmas in a new way. Come with me if you want to live. Change your way of gifting if you want to live. And let's change the world. Come with the message of Jesus. Learn to be co-conspirators of it. Learn to give more of ourselves than more stuff. I mentioned that Christmas should be more of a party. 